0: So I'm David Woodward. I'm the Chief Product Officer at ST Works in the UK.
1: It's a Belgian-based company offering global payroll, tax, and legal and HR services through ten offices worldwide. And it's a really vast business, isn't it? Second largest in Europe. Is Second right?
0: largest, certainly from a payroll service provision perspective in, in the UK in, and Europe. Yes.
1: So I was really fascinated here that you know, not just going down the tech route, but you've actually got a robot now on board.
0: Yes, it's called Harry. <laughs> I am the future. The advances now into robotics and artificial intelligence means that robots are definitely the way that we can now start replacing HR jobs. I am here for your business. Nine to five, or 24-7, for your
1: people, your engagement, your talent, your business.
0: I am a new kind of HR. I am Harry in place, in situ, within organisations, fulfilling effectively the HR business partner's role.
1: I am Human Advisory Resource, Robotic Interface. I'm a physical presence. I'm a face. I am the future of human resources because I am a superhuman resource.
0: It knows all about your policies and your procedures and of course it's completely impartial.
1: Meet Harry your jaw up off the floor, the HR robots are not taking over just yet, and Harry is in fact a very convincing spoof.
0: We are going to make sure this is all
1: tongue-in-cheek, aren't <laughs> we? Don't fret. <laughs> Harry was created by ST Works, where David Woodward is Chief Product Officer. They've released a series of videos about Harry, who's actually a 3D working model created by the same guys who did Star Wars. The idea is to get people talking about how we feel about the tech revolution.
0: I think it is a a really good indication of perhaps some of the fears that people have of what robotics might might be doing for us in the very near term. The reality, of course, is that these systems aren't yet this sophisticated. They have many, many issues. And, of course, you can't take the human out of HR.
1: I think most of the people listening to this podcast will be really delighted to hear that. (laughs) Reassuring maybe, but things are changing. Rapid advances in tech have already affected organisations in lots of ways, from globalisation to flexible working, and human resource management has had to move fast to catch up. Going forward, by 2020, around three-quarters of the UK workforce will be millennials, and there's already research suggesting that at least 35% of the current jobs here could be computerised or automated within 20 years. Dr Nicola Millard heads up Customer Insight and Futures in BT's Global Services Innovation Team. She's not a techie, she's a psychologist and a futurologist and she spends much of her time pondering those tricky questions like what will work really look like in five to ten years' time? Hmm.
2: That's a question I do get asked a lot because I think there's been a lot in the press around robots eating our jobs. And actually, it's more likely that robots are going to eat tasks within our jobs yes. rather than whole job roles. Although I keep saying there is precedent for whole job roles to be eliminated. The typing pool being one of those precedents. Yeah. So uh, so actually, we're doing a lot more of that ourselves. Um, I think uh, I always say that actually some of, some of the stuff to be honest is stuff I don't really want to do so the boring stuff I really hope that a robot would start to do my email for me for a start so if, if that could manage my email inbox then rather than me having to manage mm-hmm. my email inbox I will very happily give that over to a robot so I keep saying if you if you look at tasks that are typically very process oriented process bound you can write it down probably that's that's initially going to be the kind of task that's going to get eliminated to be honest I I actually find this an interesting trend obviously there's a lot of negativity around you know is, is it going to make us less valuable as humans are we hmm. going to have mass unemployment for, for me though I, I'm a psychologist so uh, and, and I was, oh, my background is AI um, so my first ever job in BT was AI Okay. Um, and I know that unless you can codify something unless you've got data in the background you're probably not going to have an AI working very efficiently on it um, the thing that we're very good at is is making assumptions from Patchy information, being innovative, being creative, being empathetic, caring, negotiation, all of those things are incredibly difficult for machines to do. Uh, absolutely. Um, so all of those things, I think, potentially, those are the kind of skills that we're probably going to start to value very much into the future. Um, uh, and hopefully, the, the, some put put it as the dull, the dirty and the dangerous could
1: potentially start to, uh, to be automated. David D'Souza is the CIPD's head of engagement, and he thinks long and hard about what tech will mean for work, too.
3: Well, obviously, HR is a tremendously dangerous profession to be in, Indiana Jones-like at times. But I think what we'll see is that where we can, we will improve administrative flows within organisations where you're looking at large volumes of data. So the recruitment process, for instance, you'll see increasing usage of software to make sense of that and to make judgments within that. And when it comes to crunching of large scale data, So that might be talent management within organisations, that might be workforce planning. Again, you'll see more and more software solutions in that space. So the dull bits, yes, I think they will be removed, you know, paper will be uh, removed from offices more and more. Things will be stored digitally, understood digitally and communicated digitally. So lots of the onerous HR tasks will disappear. But hopefully that means that the strategic bit that we've always insisted we wish we had more time to get round to will be more of a a realistic possibility for people without other things getting in the way.
1: But not every HR department will be at the forefront of
3: tech change. The day-to-day of the HR function will be, in some cases, fundamentally different, because you will have some early adopters. But, you know, we still have HR departments struggling to get to uh, kind of grips with Excel. Um, And that's been around long enough for us to have had a decent head start at it. So I think just because technology is available, just because something is possible, doesn't necessarily mean that we'll leap to utilising it to its fullest extent.
1: David Woodward has 60,000 customers at payroll provider SD Works, which puts him in a great position to spot the direction of travel in the tech and automation landscape.
0: Data, you know, data increasingly is where the value sits. And this is an area that SD Works are looking at very closely to fully understand how we can support our customers with unlocking the value that that exists within not just their data, but the aggregated data, when you start taking a macro view of understanding those sorts of trends. It's very, very powerful, and that's where I think you're gonna see more and more development in terms of just understanding trends and patterns, and benchmarking, for example, it's when you've got that amount of data, it brings great value.
1: Right now, thanks to tech, we have unprecedented access to the wide-ranging power of big data. And as David says, that's changing the way businesses understand their customers, how they market to new audiences, and how they communicate with current and future employees. And if we look deeply enough, the insights that big data can offer are really profound
3: we're reaching the point where actually we can monitor lots of things about people that we've never been able to i can monitor your social networks i can tell who you've been interacting with i can potentially in some organizations tell your pulse Um, i can tell you how regular your breathing is i can tell whether you're stressed i can tell how quickly people in the organization open your emails i can look at if you post something on a social network internally how rapidly that spreads And I can look at your activity outside of the workplace as well. So how influential you are, for instance, on Twitter. Um, All of those things are measures that historically we won't have had. Um, For HR to find a way of providing a more rounded view of the value of an employee makes a big difference to organisations. So I think there's an opportunity for HR to support people's wellbeing more effectively, to think about talent in the organisation more effectively, to think about the levels of stress and work-life balance that they have in the organisation, using that information to provide a degree of insight to the business that we've never had the opportunity to have before. Um, Part of me is concerned that these are things we could be doing now and that we shouldn't need to wait for the information to do the right thing for people. But it's doubtless far more uh, simple to make a business case to a senior team if you can come on with numbers. And potentially for the first time we are coming armed with really detailed numbers about the people that we have in the organisation. The trick is to utilise that to help people be more human in the workplace and not to reduce people to numbers
1: not an excuse for management shortcuts, but there's another ethical challenge at the heart of the debate here. I hate the word big data, but
2: we have a lot of data. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. It's big, I suppose. But um, uh, we're also getting an awful lot more connected technology. So we've got things like the Internet of Things. We talk about the notion of clouds of clouds as well. So given a lot of this is going up into the network, how do we connect clouds of things together? Um, And then you've got smart cities and smart buildings. So so there's a lot of data starting potentially to come in in the next five years. The good thing is that can be codified and read by a computer, so it can you can learn from that. There's some interesting things you can do with big data and certainly uh, we work with uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology and in particular Sandy Pentland who's been doing this lovely stuff called social physics which is all about using big data to start to understand how people collaborate together. Um, literally you're fitting people with oh, badges. Tags. Yes, so we've, we've heard, heard about these. Absolutely. Yes. He, he, they're called sociometrics badges but but basically... To they measure were,
1: their physical interactions with each to
2: other. To measure the physical and where they are. So you can start to figure out how people are using physics spaces you can start to work out how they're, they're they're collaborating in digital spaces as well so email and chat and social media and from that you can get all sorts of insights around well who are the future leaders so that's great however and this is the dilemma coming back in five years time that data is quite invasive um so as an employee am i happy to be monitored in that way and actually this this boils down to something that i call the me economy so what am i willing to trade in terms of data and what i get back um, so it's almost like an economy it boils down to the whiffums i call it what's in it for me so i'm not going to do it unless there's some benefit to me there's also a creepy line if they know more about me than i know That's a bit creepy. All of those things, I think, are very natural human reactions to some of that stuff. And that certainly is potentially one of the things that holds some of the technological progress back. Because the technology can do a lot of stuff. It's, again, what's acceptable to us? What's in it for me? And is it useful, usable and used?
1: Useful, usable and used. The three U's, which together mean a technology is working. We'll come back to that in a moment. The cloud, as Nicola says, is a tool we all use and it's changing HR's job. Before, the collection and storage of data used to be all about paper, filing cabinets and hard drives. Now, all that data can be collected through automated processes and just live in the cloud. Tax forms, contact info, performance review, everything archived in one secure, accessible place. Payroll systems are a great example of that. Here's David Woodward again.
0: One of the trends that we're seeing increasingly in the larger employers, uh, for example, in retail and hospitality, is the very fact that now people have multiple jobs. They may not work for one employer, and of course, the whole gig economy is turning some of this whole model completely upside down, and 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 that's where I think the challenge around automation comes. You know, how does how do these systems that sit in between that traditionally have been employer systems providing services to their employees adapt as the world of work is changing?
1: What sort of systems are you talking about?
0: Systems that manage and help support the employees' time at work. So that could be as simple as being paid. Well, I say simple, it's obviously far from simple, especially if you take that example where I was referring to if they might be working for two employers in the same day, when are they going to get paid? Are they going to get paid at the end of the month or the end of the week? I think that model might change. I think it might change to a much more micro-based form of payment where you might get paid maybe into your PayPal account as you're walking out of that employer's premise and moving on to doing something else. So the speed at which things now need to evolve from a systems point of view, I think need to respect the fact that the way people work is also changing as well.
1: So how does someone in HR select the right technology for their organisation? Let's go back to Nicola Millard's three U's because she's done some very interesting research into tech uptake. So the first thing is it has to be useful. Um, Now, frankly,
2: this is an interesting one because you would never, ever... Ask somebody who invented the technology, is your technology useful? Because frankly, saying it's not useful is like calling their baby ugly. Um, So so that's the first (laughs) thing is most technologies are useful, but it's the perception. So... Certainly in the workplace, it's the perception, will this technology actually help me to do my job? Um, And that could be effectively sometimes a sales exercise. So it's around, well, what does this technology do for me? Um, Possibly hand-holding people through, you know, what it could do for me. Obviously, there's things like managers maybe adopting it as well. So people, peers adopting it. All of those things contribute to the fact I think it might be useful to me. The second one, which is interesting in the context of the enterprise, is usable Um, Because actually, we're as consumers very used to usable technologies now because Apple kind of got there very early, and those technologies are very simple. They don't need a manual, they don't need a training course, they're very intuitive. Absolutely. Enterprise technologies, however, often are entirely the opposite. So um, we very much need to, to make sure that enterprise technologies are all of those things. They need to be intuitive. You shouldn't have to take a course in order to use them. They should be frictionless. They should almost disappear into the ether. Um, so useful and usable technologies are not necessarily used and used as the third you. Um, and that's much more around some of the behavioural economic stuff, the lovely behavioural economic stuff that's coming along around the nudge effect. Uh, so that's really firstly around that sort of peer adoption piece that I mentioned earlier um, it's well, if who other else... people
1: are using it I'll, I'll try it
2: absolutely and, and I always say that social media is a very good example of that um, it's a tsunami effect so If you're a Facebook user, the chances are you're on Facebook because you know someone else who's on Facebook, because otherwise a social network of one is a very lonely and probably quite useless social network. So the value in particular of of that kind of technology is, is around who do I know that's on it and what value do I actually get from it as a result?
1: One of the big evolutions is that for many jobs, being in the workplace is no longer necessary. We're increasingly social. We're all hyper-connected. As Nicola Millard puts it, we're untethered.
2: Which is beautiful. I can work
1: anywhere I want, any
2: anytime I want, any place do. I want. And I do. And I work for, for BT. We, we're renowned for, for embracing that that agile and flexible working mindset very early on. In fact, um, I've been at BT for rather too long, 26 years, but um, but uh, but 1992 was our first uh, homeworking trial and I, I was part of that trial. Um, it worked. We, we had people working from home for a year. I was there to make sure they didn't go mad because um, we weren't sure. We weren't sure. The trouble was in 1992, we didn't have broadband. Um, so we literally had to dig people's front gardens up in order to get a big enough pipe into their houses. So now we've got, we've got better connectivity. We've got cheaper technologies. It does open up homeworking and flexible work. Now I always say with homeworking, the interesting dilemma is for homeworking to work, you need one very critical thing, a home. You're typically gonna get the younger generation probably still living with their parents. So we are seeing at the moment homeworking doesn't work for them. So there's there's the option of the office now. The office in itself is quite interesting because that's also evolving because we don't have to be in an office anymore. But we do know that the office is a very effective collaboration tool. So yes. it's a place that we go to socialise about With other work.
1: wins as well, social learning, all the things we know about. Completely.
2: But we haven't designed offices necessarily to facilitate that. So we are obviously seeing some real interesting office designs coming out uh, rather than the lines of desks.
1: For HR, a remote workforce can raise questions about trust. David Souza.
3: It brings some interesting challenges with it, which we need to think about, which is for the people that are less comfortable with technology, what does that mean? For the people who don't have space in their homes, what does that mean? And actually for people who value human contact on a regular basis, and that's a, a bias and a preference for them. And that could be due to anything from a medical condition where the office is a safe space for them, um, due to just people who are more social. It has impacts on them too. It changes fundamentally, I think, the way that you manage people because you have to manage in a trusting relationship. Um, what I would hate to see is technology being used more invasively to monitor people in their own homes, to ensure that they're online at the right time. Um, I've already seen what I think is probably the most ridiculous policy I've ever come across, which is insisting that people don't unload their washing machine during the time they're supposed to be working from home. Um, so I think we just need to have, you know, it's, it's the dawn of hopefully more mature Relationships
0: that are output-based rather than anything else.
1: Finally, David Woodward, and he's feeling optimistic.
0: I think we are going through a, the equivalent of another industrial revolution, and while none of us are probably old enough to remember the first time around, if we read our history books, of course everyone was very fearful that was going to massively change people's work and people's livelihoods. And in reality, of course, that wasn't the case. What actually happens, I think, is it opens up a whole range of new opportunities so I think none of us know the future but I think we can all be confident that it's going to be an exciting one certain jobs will go I think that's certainly true but new jobs will emerge that will be equal I'm sure in terms of replacing the jobs that might disappear
1: do you think so because I mean the point that's always made isn't it that more sophisticated jobs may proliferate but the transactional low grade low skill jobs will go
0: I have more faith in humankind I think. I think there's more likelihood that people ultimately still want to do business with people and there will always be in forms we don't yet fully understand there will always be roles for people to work probably doing very different jobs to the ones we do now but I remain pretty optimistic that uh, there'll probably be if anything an increase of opportunity may not all be at work it might be at leisure Um, you know if, if, if we can really get this right as as a race, then hopefully we can have more leisure time and less work time. I think that would be, maybe I may not live to see it, but I would hope that our future generations will be able to figure out a way of of spending more time with their families and, and maybe spending a little bit less time at work.
1: For more on this, go to the CIPD website and check out Nicola Millard's excellent TED Talk on how to give new tech the best chance of catching on. You'll also find webinars, fact sheets, blogs and analysis to keep you on your toes. Thanks for listening. Next month, we'll be asking how far we've come in the 17 years since the American academic, Peter Senji, first defined the idea of the learning organisation. It's fascinating stuff, don't miss it. As always, the podcast goes live on the first Tuesday of the month.